All right, if you turn in your hymnal, the green hymnal, to hymn number 11, that's the hymn of the day for the second Sunday after Epiphany. Second Sunday after Epiphany, the gospel reading, which we'll see in just a bit, is from John 2, uh, which deals with Jesus uh, going to a wedding and the rejoicing that comes with that. Um, This particular hymn, then, is also a very exuberant, joyful kind of hymn. It is one written by Martin Luther. It's one of his, we call them metrical paraphrases. That is, he takes a psalm and uh, he sets it to uh, a hymn, a hymn tune. And so that's what we have with this one. Some of his other ones, from depths of woe, I cry to you. Some are a little more austere. Uh, Some are particularly like a mighty fortress, uh, a very uh, almost military-like. Uh, this one is quite uh, joyful. Uh, it's based on Psalm 128. Uh, this was written by Luther. It appeared in pretty well all the hymnals, along with uh, uh, several other ones. Uh, why it didn't get included after that, I don't know. It's not in TLH. It's not in Lutheran worship. It's not in LSB. Um, but it isn't. Uh, the original tune that went with it was quite difficult. Uh, this one uh, is the one that soon afterwards uh, began to be used and it's kind of stuck. Um, it's a little uh, easier. Uh, this translation is by a... Uh, uh, man in 1854, his name is Richard Massey. He translated quite a few hymns into English. And like Winkworth, he's pretty well uh, known for those, for those purposes. In order to understand this one, I'm going to have you get your red pew Bible out. Let's take a look at the psalm. Well... <laughs> we put those in its place, didn't Well, all right. Oh, I'll just have to tell you about it. So, Psalm 128. Uh, the Psalms in kind of the 120s, 130s, uh, unlike some of the other ones, they uh, which can be like 22 verses, that's, that's kind of a, a normal length. Uh, these are all... Oh, three to five to eight. I mean, they're, they're pretty kind of short. Bing, 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 bing psalms. Um, and they seem to have, uh, whether they were composed one after the other, I don't know, but they seem to have a thematic connection between them. And so, uh, Psalm 127, this is from Psalm 128. This hymn is from Psalm 128. The one before this, uh, has a reference to blessed is, just like this one begins, happy the man, that's actually blessed is uh, uh, the man. This kind of connection goes together. What do we find in Psalm 127? It begins like this, the one before this hymn. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, The watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. So Psalm 127 begins, that's the first half of it, begins by saying, uh, um, unless God is giving the blessings, you can't get them. You you know, you can say, well, I'm going to get up early and I'm going to do this and I'm going to build this house and I'm going to enjoy... Yeah, your health, you know, everything comes from the Lord. So it says, unless the Lord gives it, you can't wrestle these away from him. These are things that he is providing and that uh, uh, is giving. Uh, Even your own sleep is something from him. Then it goes on to say, sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, sons in one's youth. Blessed, there's the word, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. So the last part of this uh, Psalm 127 talks about 
uh, and it says, God rewards. Now, Lutherans aren't against rewards. Uh, we know that salvation is not a reward. It's not earned. It is that we don't have works righteousness. You don't work in order to get righteous. God gives you righteousness. But having given you righteousness, uh, the Lord de- declares how we are to live as his children. And like any good heavenly father, he rewards us not only in our doing, but you would say he also rewards us in the very life that we have. And so you might say, uh, uh, to, uh, uh, if you are honest and work hard, God rewards you by not locking you up in jail. You go, well, that's, you know. Well, no, that's the way that he teaches us uh, uh, so that our life in this world goes well. And so if you follow these things, it will go well with you. Granted, there are evil and, and people will try to thwart this, uh, but, but this is the way the Lord works. It is a reward of, of well, blessing. Uh, um, it, it's, it's not earned. It's, it's one that he is providing above and beyond. I usually liken it to a father who gives their children uh, who do chores around the house, gives them a allowance. Uh, do you say, well, I earned my stay here in this house by that la-? No, it's a, it's a reward, but it's a gift. It's, it's, it's just the Lord encouraging. So here, it speaks about uh, these gifts that God gives uh, to those who, as he says, build their house upon the Lord. Well, what kind of house gets children? Let's talking about the family, and tonight we're going to be taking a look at marriage. All right, that bumps us right into Psalm 128, which is the one for uh, tonight. So, Psalm 128 begins this way, verse 1 and 2. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. The hymn. Repeat after me. Happy the man who feareth God, whose feet his holy ways have trod. Thine own good hand shall nourish thee, and well and happy shalt thou be. And so, uh, like this, the, the Hebrew for these are asherah. Uh, blessed is, asherah is uh, the man. He's blessed. He's here described as, as, as happy. Uh, happy is the man who feareth God. Pretty well, the Old Testament talks about fearing God. The New Testament talks about believing or trusting in God, having faith in God. It's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. Um, that's why Luther, when he talks about we should fear, love, and trust in God, he, he puts those kind of all together. So, the one who has faith in God, the one who is uh, following him, uh, it says that man is, is, is blessed. Uh, I was talking to someone the other day. They were talking about the afflictions, the troubles that they had been through, and, you know, uh, uh, was explaining. And, and right in the midst of all said to me, but you know, Pastor, uh, there's a joy that underlines it all. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's what we're talking about, the Christian faith. Despite all of this, I, I still have a peace that passes understanding. I still have a joy that no one can take away. And, and so that's what it is speaking about. So, having provided righteousness, having saved us and brought us so that we have faith in him, it says... The man whose feet his holy ways have trod. What happens? We walk in his ways. He teaches us. That's what a God does. I now have a God, and so what does this God say? He says, here is the way I set up humanity. Here is the way I set up this world. Here is the way you ought to walk. Here is the way you ought to live. And so he he teaches us the best way. Uh, You might say the one who uh, created all things has the instruction manual. So he also teaches us in that way. 
In fact, uh, um, the practicality of this psalm, as you see in this hymn, that third line down, thine own good hand shall nourish thee. Hmm. Thine, referring to us, our own hand is going to feed us. Well, what about this? Um, this is the way that God sets things up. Normally, normally, uh, uh, the scriptures say, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Or what is the great blessedness that comes from being able to work and to provide for yourself? That is the way that the Lord, even St. Paul said, he, he didn't want that taken away from him. Um, granted, uh, some of us are able to work and to, to take care of others, whether it is children or a wife or, or, or parents or uh, uh, are able to give to charity and to help. That, that's a blessing too. But, but the great blessing of being God providing us with that so that we can uh, work, um, that's good. And, and he desires uh, uh, that, that for us. It's uh, uh, the blessings of, of our daily bread. Stanza two. Thy wife shall like a fruitful vine. Fill all thy house with clusters fine. Thy children all be fresh and sound. Like olive plants, thy table round. Pretty well just taken directly out of uh, uh, verse 3. But what is it speaking about? It's saying, listen, this is the way of God. It is not good for man to be alone. Normally there is a, uh, a spouse, there is marriage, so that this estate, which is highly lifted up, already instituted in the Garden of Eden, uh, should be upheld so that there might be a wife, that there might be a husband and wife that have children. And those things, just like the work, gives us the blessing of bread. So the wife gives the fruits of children and the children give the fruits of uh, of being around the table. And, and the Lord says, yeah, uh, um, not only am I providing for you the institution of marriage, I'm providing for you the blessings that come with all those things. Uh, um, and so it's kind of a gift that gives. Um, okay, stanza number three. Low to the man these blessings cleave. Who in God's holy fear dost live. So, these blessings hold on to him because he is walking in the way that God has set up. Uh, um, that's, that's where the Lord is giving those. But it goes on. From him the ancient curse hath fled. By Adam's race inherited. And now it goes back and pulls out the ancient curse. What's it talking about, the ancient curse? Yeah, uh, um, and we're going back to the, the curse that came from the Garden of Eden, where it said, in the day you eat of it, you will die. It's death. And so that's the ancient curse that came, and it says we've all inherited it, all in Adam's race, every one of us. And so it says that is to flee from the man who has faith and shows it with the fruits of faith, for that's what the man does. Of course he does. Uh, um, but it is through that faith in Christ, and, and uh-oh, no. Um, we are able to put down. Well, we're going to see how that happens, even as tonight we take a look at, at confession. Uh, as we live in our baptism, uh, we, we, you know, you might say, defeat the ancient uh, uh, curse. No, we're, the Lord is giving us life uh, in, place of, in place of death. Stanza number four. Out of Mount Zion, God shall send... And crown with joy thy latter end. And crown with joy thy latter end. 
that thou, Jerusalem, mayst see in favor and prosperity. So Mount Zion is, is Jerusalem. It's the place where God lives. And so God himself from his holy place is sending out the blessings. Um, they speak of it in Old Testament terminology being at Mount Zion or, Mount Zion or Jerusalem. We would say the Lord from heaven uh, is doing these things. And crown with joy the latter end. There's this, this world will come to an end. Uh, uh, you will lose your spouse, you will lose your life, you're going to uh, uh, die someday, and, and yet the Lord is going to bless and crown that end with joy as well, uh, for he gives us heaven. And then it talks about from Jerusalem we'll have favor and prosperity. Once again, we're going to say this is the place where God is, is uh, from heaven. But today in his church, he's working out this in, in his church. He's doing it where word and sacrament is. And so uh, we're receiving the, God's favor, his, his blessings, his prosperity. Last one, stanza number five. He shall be with thee in thy ways. And give thee health and length of days. It almost, almost reminds you of the, the fourth commandment where it says, and it has a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life upon the earth. You see that the, the Lord gives us that encouragement uh, in these things. And then uh, uh, finally, yea, thou shalt children's children see and peace on Israel shall be. Yeah, that, that pretty well is word for word from the, from the end of the psalm where it talks about, again, just simply teaching about these uh, blessings which God gives uh, together with, you would say, the Christian life. Um, maybe it goes back to uh, uh, even Psalm number one where it talks about the way. Uh, that we should walk. How should we walk? Well, it's the way of this, and there's the way of this, or Proverbs uh, chapter 1. So that's what it is uh, teaching us. Stanza number Catechism, we finished up with uh, Holy Baptism last time, and now we're moving on to the uh, fifth chief part, which usually we include both the Office of the Keys and uh, the Confession. Uh, There's three questions that go with the Office of the Keys and three which go with Confession. Uh, Luther wrote the Large Catechism first. He actually had five chief parts with it. Hmm. Let's go back. Usually we speak of the six chief parts of the Catechism. Ten Commandments, Apostles' Creed, Lord's Prayer, Holy Baptism, Confession Office of the Keys, and Lord's Supper. But when Luther wrote the Large Catechism at the beginning, there were only five chief parts. Which one was left out? It was confession. Yep, exactly. And so there were only five. He later appends to the large catechism, after what would be the first five, one that was called a brief exhortation to confession. So he got six. In the small catechism, we do have six chief parts, Although the Office of the Keys, those three questions, 
uh, were at a little bit later. They were at it during Luther's lifetime. But, all right, so this idea that Luther started off with five chief parts and left off confession. Why would he do that? Um, is it that it's, it, you know, it's not as important? Uh, it, it, uh, oh, it, oh, forgot about that one. Well, you kind of go, well, if you forget about it, is it really one of the chief parts or not? Was it incorporated into one of the other chief parts? Yes, it was. And Luther, at the beginning, said, well, that's what I intended for you to already know when you did the fourth question of baptism. In other words, what does such baptizing with water indicate? Well, it indicates that by confessing our sins daily and and receiving forgiveness, we live in the Christian life. And so later, when Luther explains this in the large catechism, he says, what is confession and absolution? It's none other than practicing your baptism. So yes, it's incorporated or included. Luther realized that he said, ah, I need to explain that more. Office of the Keys, that added later, was to say, wait a minute. How do we get the absolution in this? Well, you've got to have someone in the Office of the Keys, the pastoral office. Um, that had been then uh, almost denigrated, and he wanted to make sure that that was held up. So, all right, well, let's take a look at confession uh, if you have your little sheet it's, or booklet, it's on page 22. It says, How the unlearned should be taught to confess. What is confession? Answer, repeat after me. Confession embraces two parts. Confession embraces two parts. One is that we confess our sins. The other that we receive absolution. Or forgiveness from the confessor. And there's a little asterisk to let you know that it's referring to the pastor, not just any. Um, and, 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 and actually, uh, over time, uh, the term confessor has sometimes been used for the person hearing confession, and at other times, it's been used for the person who is confessing. So you almost have to look at the context to kind of go, the confessor, which one is that? The guy confessing and the guy hearing it? Well, this one is actually the one hearing it. So it's, it's the pastor from the confessor, the pastor. As from God himself, and in no wise doubt, but firmly believe that by it our sins are forgiven before God in heaven. All right, so Luther begins with what is confession? He has the big heading of confession as we would say, hey, let's go to confession. Okay, what's going to happen when you get there? Well, one part is going to be confessing your sins. The other part, you're going to hear the pastor give the words of forgiveness or absolution, which we are to believe. What are we to do? Well, we're to confess our sins, and then we're to believe the absolution which the pastor speaks. What does the pastor do? Well, during the first part, he listens. During the second part... He speaks. What do we do? During the first part, we speak. During the second part, we listen to the absolution and we trust or we hold in it, as it says here, believing that it is from God in heaven that God has sent this man to speak to us these words of forgiveness. To say that confession has two parts. You confess your sins. The law shows me my sins so that I know what they are. Then the gospel tells me about the graciousness and God's forgiveness in Jesus that I believe it. We, we have heard that um, uh, endlessly. At least I hope in Bible class, in sermons, in, you know, in, in uh, devotional material again and again and again. 
But that was radical. That was radical. Why was it radical? It was radical because the Roman church at Luther's time taught that the sacrament of penance had three parts. For Luther to come and say that there were two was radical. Um, Now, let's go through the three parts that Rome, Rome talked about. There needed to be contrition. What is contrition? Sorrow over sins. You had to be sorry. You had to have sorrow. Um, that was the, the first part. Um, second, there needed to be what they called sacramental confession. Now, not just confession of sins, but an oral confession, you had to say it out loud, had to come out your lips, of your sins. And when I say of your sins, I mean all your sins. Every sin had to be confessed orally or it wasn't forgiven. Sacramental confession was this oral confession of sins. Number three. The third part was satisfaction. Satisfaction was that you had to do something in order to make an amends for the sins that you committed. So, you committed these sins. The pastor would look up in his book. Well, let's see. Stealing a large amount. Well, that would require um, saying the seven penitential psalms uh, every day for three months and returning the money kind of thing. Those were the three parts of confession. So, you had to be sorry, you had to say it out loud, and then you had to do the satisfaction. How do those correspond <laughs> to Luther's two parts? Did he just leave one off or... I had three, and two. Jesus already satisfied us, satisfied for everybody, so you don't need that. Yeah, I, 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 of course. Uh, um, the last part, when we look at satisfaction, we we kind of go, well, you know, yeah, of course. Once you're once you, once you're sorry for your, I mean, if you've stolen something and you've been you're sorry about it, and you forgive it, you'll you'll want to return it. Well, we would understand, and Lutherans have talked about, of course there's going to be the fruits of faith. There's going to be that which shows that, that you were sorry and we would return. But that's not a part of confession and absolution. Um, but this was actually not that. This was satisfaction. You had to do this before you knew you were forgiven. And the Lutheran said, absolutely not. Jesus has done everything that needed to happen. He was the one that that provided, you would say, the satisfaction, made the sacrifice. So that third one was thrown out. Uh, We don't speak of that at all. Again, we do talk about what happens after you're forgiven, but that's a different story. That's what we call the fruits of faith. What about the other two parts? What about the second part, that you have to confess all of your sins? Yeah, yes. Uh, um, you know, I, I one, I don't have time. <laughs> I'm so just two, I don't even know all my sins. Um, the scriptures talk about, you know, Lord, forgive me for my hidden sins. I, I couldn't do it. Um, no, absolutely not. And even if I have a great desire, you know, uh, uh, to do this. And so there was always this pangs of conscience. Did I say it? Did I? Oh, did I forget? Did I say? Um, um, you know what? Uh, I, I'm sure you've had the instance where you, you kind of go, well, okay, I kind of feel like I ought to confess my sins. And so you kind of go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think of my sins. Yeah, I really can't think of any right now. I mean, you've had that. I know you have. Where you just kind of go, really, I just, you know, I, I, I know the scripture says I'm a sinner. I know I should, but I can't, you know. And I'm, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yesterday... You know, yep, I used a curse word. Yep, got it. And that's about all I can think of. But sometimes we 
Right. Right. Exactly. Correct. Correct. And so, you know, with these kind of things where you kind of go, yeah, I can't do it and I can't get this done, you know, um, it causes doubt. It doesn't give you comfort. It, uh, you know, in fact, even with the satisfaction kind of thing, you know, they kind of went, well, I mean, think about your New Year's resolution or something. You know, now I'm going to, how often do you actually get those things done? Really, think about it. So, but don't worry, the Roman church had an answer to that. If you don't get it done now, you can suffer it off in purgatory. Great. You know. And then the second part, you've got to confess it orally. Okay, what if I don't? Well, they said, if, if you think of something, then you have to promise to confess it next time. And they had all kinds of rules that tried to get, but you knew the loophole. You couldn't do it. What about the first part, where there had to be contrition, sorrow? Well, I, I, I'm not supposed to brag about my sins. I am supposed to have, I am supposed to have sorrow over my sins. Contrition is a good thing. Um, how contrite do you have to be? How sorry do you have to be? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sad I did it. Um, you know, when, uh, uh, when, you, when you do something wrong and you get punished for it, are you sad because you got punished or are you sad because... Hmm, there was all kinds of little things where you kind of went, well, I'm not quite sure if I did this or not. Luther cuts through all of that. His two don't actually even fit with the three. Luther says, what do you do? You confess your sins. You confess, this is what I did. It's wrong according to God's law. And what does God determine concerning that? That you ought to be punished for your sins. I confess that I have done this. I wish I hadn't. That's about it. That's about it. Um... Should there be contrition? Well, of course there ought to be. But how much? I don't know. Um, Luther says, confess your sins. Can you confess them all? No. Not at all. Just confess the ones, and we'll get to which sins should we confess. The ones that trouble you. Um, All sins are forgiven. This is simply a matter of being able to hear the forgiveness for those sins that actually trouble you. I'm not saying the others aren't forgiven. Uh, um, but if there is one that is troubling you and you're thinking, oh boy, this is really a bad thing, whatever, speak it out and let God's representative tell you what God has to say about it. That'll take away. Uh, sins are always needling us. They're like fear. They're like, oh, it's going to bother me. Oh, if I come into church and it's going if to, if God really knew, if people really knew what I... Next time the devil accuses you of something and troubles you about it, you can say, you know what? I confess that sin. And God told me I'm forgiven. He did it with his called minister, the one that he sent there to do that. Um, if somebody else is bringing up your sin, it's not God. It's the accuser. And he's lying to you. Um, so that's the reason that it's there. What's the second part of confession? Absolution or forgiveness. They didn't even have it in, in the Roman three part of confession. That's the most important part. In fact, Luther, when he talks about this in another place, he says, we all ought to go to private. We, we retain private absolution. He changed the name of the whole blasted thing. He said the important part is not the confession. The important part is the second part, the absolution. He says that's why we keep it. Um, in fact, if there's anything commanded, is that the pastor speak out the words of absolution. Um, the scriptures don't require you to have to confess before the pastor. Um, the Roman church said, oh yes, it's required. You have to speak it out loud to the priest. He's, he's got to hear it. Uh, not so. 
Um, if you come to private absolution and you kneel down and you say to me, I, um, you know, I'm a terrible, rotten sinner. I just came to hear the absolution. I will give you the absolution. Absolutely. You just made confession. Uh, and so, this is uh, the radicalness that comes forward with this. It takes what we would call the gospel and puts it front and center and says this particular right, confession, absolution, can give out the gospel and that's why we keep it. Second question. What sin should we confess? Answer, before God, we should plead guilty of all sins. Even of those which we do not know. As we do in the Lord's Prayer. But before the confessor, we should confess those sins only which we know and feel in our hearts. What do you confess before the pastor? Well, don't make things up. <laughs> only those that trouble you, that bother you, those are the ones that you speak. Other than that, we confess, well, I, uh, even the sins we don't know. Uh, my transgressions that I, I did this day. Uh, forgive me for for those, even those that I'm I'm not aware of. All right, let's stop there. Any questions? Okay. We light the candles and we'll begin. Please stand. Oh Lord, open my lips. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Praise to you, O Christ. Alleluia. You may be seated. The reading is from John 2. It's on the back of the bulletin. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior... You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is God's word. The hymn is hymn number 11.
is a man who feareth God, whose feet his holy ways have trod. Thine own good hand shall nourish thee, and well and happy shalt thou be. Thy wife shall like a fruitful vine, Fill all thy house with clusters fine. Thy children all be fresh and sound, Like olive plants thy table round. Lo, to the man these blessings cleave, Who in God's holy fear doth live. From him the ancient curse hath fled, and Adam's race inherited. Out of Mount Zion God shall send, and crown with joy thy latter end. That thou Jerusalem may see in favor and prosperity. He shall be with thee in thy ways and give thee health and length of days. Yea, thou shalt children's children see, and peace on Israel shall be. Amen. All right, it's John chapter 2. There's a wedding, and Jesus is going to the wedding. He's going to the wedding not alone. He brings his disciples, the ones that he has, uh, along with him. And they go to the wedding. A wedding is a part of life. A wedding is a good gift from God. Uh, God did not place us here so that we could work our fingers to the bone. we are not, uh, uh, the gods in heaven didn't decide, boy, we really need someone to do work for us and then make uh, uh, men and women. No, our, our God wishes to, uh, to bless us. And so here, this is one of the things. Even as Jesus begins his three-year ministry, you might say he's only got three years. He's going to a wedding. He's going to a wedding. Why does he go to a wedding? The father instituted marriage. Uh, Jesus, what? He was invited, of course. Um, That's why he went. This is a part of society. He is a part of loving your neighbor. This is a part of doing what needs to be done. And and so he goes. What do we find? We find that we have a Jesus, and I'm going to say the, the theme the, uh, as, as you go through this, this text is one in which we see Jesus Christ's sympathy with our human condition. Uh, um, of course, our Jesus sees our sinfulness. And thus, he takes on human flesh and he comes to save us. Yes. But even while he has come to teach his disciples who he is, to come and to suffer and die for us, we see in this text his great sympathy towards us. Verse 3. They ran out of wine. What kind of wedding uh, uh, is this? Um, now, again, we're talking about the wedding feast. Well, if you ran out of food or you ran out of wine, I mean, oh, what a, what a terrible thing to have happen. Um, you can't have a wedding feast. You can't rejoice. You can't, I mean, 
Uh, kind of like having a baseball game and running out of baseballs. I mean, you, you can't do it. They have no wine, the mother of Jesus said. Jesus doesn't sound too sympathetic to me. What does he say to her? It's not what? Not my issue. Not my issue. Yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. His words sound exactly like that. Um, in other words, uh, uh, you're the one who, I don't know if, if Mary was catering the wedding that day, or if she's just a friend of the family, or she sees the situation. Uh, um, you know, women tend to see, you know, what's going on, and, and, and you, do you see what's going on here? And so she brings it up to Jesus. And he says, what does your concern have to do with me? What, what, um, he used to be the little boy in her household. Last we heard, he was 12 years old and he submitted to her and went back with her and he stayed there until he was about 30. But now, He has begun his ministry, has been baptized by John. He has started to call disciples, and he is full-blown. You might say he has begun his work as a rabbi, and he is out doing his job, his work. And his mom comes and says, Son, you got to take care of this. He says, I'm the Savior. I'm the teacher. What does that have to do with being the Savior? Answer? She doesn't answer, but we could answer for her. What would... I, don't think I don't think it has anything to do with that. He can suffer and die. He can be the rabbi. He didn't even... You know, what does the... Providing wine at a, at a wedding. That's not his job. Um... But he also says to her, my hour has not yet come. What is his hour that hasn't come yet? When he reveals himself to the world. When he does what? He reveals himself who he is. When he reveals who he is. Hmm. And that comes to its fruition you know, uh, uh, in the Garden of Eden, he describes, he says, oh, my hour has come. It's, 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 yeah, it's done. And that's the point. It's going to be at the cross where that is clearly revealed who he is. Hmm. My hour has not yet come. Uh, does he reveal who he is? Well, not till the cross. Um, with this one, uh, does does he gather everybody around and say, "Okay, everybody, come around. Uh, let's let's put some water up here. Um, I'll have my trusty assistants come and stand by, check and see. You can see there's no mirror. You know, he doesn't do that. In fact, what do we find out? Most people don't even know the master of the feast didn't even know. Um, yeah, so." His hour has not yet come for for him to, you know, he would say just just reveal himself by 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 whatever means. This would be a miracle. But his mother said to the servants, "Whatever he says to you, do it." We have no references. Jane?
good things. Yes. Uh, I was going to say, Benjamin mentioned in his sermon on Sunday, uh, what a blessing it is to sit in a pew and, and, and hear a sermon. Um, he mentioned on Sunday, he said, you know, uh, uh, we, the, the apocryphal books, none of our scriptures have any references to Jesus doing miracles, you know, just throwing those around. Um, but the apocryphal books do. They have references to him. May, uh, the, he and his uh, playmates were making clay pigeon, pigeons out of clay, and then Jesus uh, makes them fly. You know, and there, there's these things that are in the. Uh, they're not real, but there's no references to that. I mean, we would assume that there would be something if those kind of things happen. You know, uh, that Joseph, uh, who was a carpenter, cut the wood too short, and so Jesus put it back. You know, those are the kind of crazy things that you just go. Yeah, I, we don't have any of that. Um, did, well, there's going to be something we don't need to know about. What, what well, there's a lot we don't need to know, obviously. But she understood somehow that he... I think, did, did she know that he was at least capable of of whatever providing, uh, you know... Uh, what? She knew he was God. She knew exactly who he was, Exactly. Um, and you know maybe he did. I I don't know, but that, you know that this was commonplace. I, All these years pondering things in her heart, she was you know, yes a little, a lot about what his correct his job was, his role on earth. Pondering these in her heart, Pastor. But the other the other interesting thing about this, in most of the English Bibles, they make an editorial decision to put it put put an it behind you. To put the what? Put the it behind Yeah, you see that? It's in italics. He simply says, whatever he says to you, do. What, what, what is she saying? She is telling this servant that he is God. Whatever he says, do. Because I think she knew that. And certainly, changing water into wine without actually doing anything that's visible. That's an act of God, isn't it? He has control of nature. It is not this little exchange and what appears to be uh, that's not my issue is not a lack of sympathy at all. It is simply a way of telling to Mary our previous relationship of mother and child at this point does not have uh, um, does does not carry the weight anymore. In other words, you've got a concern, and between you and me, what's that between us? How how come you and I? You know what is that? The relationship that we have now is one of Savior, and and Mary is one who, who needs to be saved. Uh, she is to have faith. She is to believe in him. Uh, she backs off uh, uh, concerning this uh, when, when, when Jesus says this. And all she simply says is, I will leave it up to him. <laughs> in other words, as mother, I'll, I'll go talk to him, but wait a minute. No. Whatever he says. If he decides, fine. If he decides not, fine. It's not her call. And she backs off and leaves it up to him. She knows exactly who he is. Um, and what do we find? That there is sympathy. We do see the Savior who sees us in our estate. He's come to save us from our sins, yes, but he's come to save us from death. He's come to save us uh, uh, from all of the, you would say, havoc that the devil is raising upon us. Um, he wants to bring to us uh, harm. He wants to bring to us uh, wickedness. He wants to bring to us evil. He wants to bring to us uh, lust and, and, and anger. And, and, and the Lord is going to provide uh, that we might rejoice in the gifts that God has given and, and enjoy the creation that he has provided. That's what he wanted, and that's why he gave us directions before. Whatever he says, do. Do it. So um, she leaves it up to him. He does Respond. He has great sympathy. Despite he doesn't have to do this, he doesn't have to do it because of Mary. He doesn't have to do it because of who he is. He 
he wants to. He cares about uh, his people. So he takes the servants, he has them fill up the uh, stone water pots with water, fills them up, uh, and tells them to take them. There's no hocus pocus, there's no crazy. He'd simply go take it to the, to the master. When they take some out and take it to him, uh, when does it happen? We don't even know. Does it happen while they're carrying it? Does it happen when they put it in? Um, but it becomes wine. And it is there that there might be rejoicing over this, uh, over this marriage feast. There's so much packed into this. Um, it makes a, a big deal of talking about these stone water pots. Water pots were used because uh, of, of cleansing, not, not literal cleansing, although it probably helped in that way as well, but it was mainly a ceremonial cleansing, a cleansing of, that you realized of, of sinfulness. And so the stone, you know, the tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, all of this is purification stuff because of sin. Jesus turns that into, uh, you would say, a receptacles of rejoicing. That's what fruit of the vine, uh, it is to gladden the heart of man. It is to rejoice in the things that God has given. Um, that's what this is about. And so that there might be rejoicing, he does that. Uh, his hour hasn't come. The master of the feast doesn't even know. Uh, accuses the uh, bridegroom of, of messing up and bringing out the good wine last because you would see this is better. I'm going to talk about this on Sunday. Uh, that, that what the Lord brings to us, we tend to think that uh, uh, these are the things that would make us happy and Jesus is, is cutting down our happiness by by telling us uh, uh, don't take from other people uh, don't don't you know go to your neighbor's wife don't you know and we think he's cutting it down and what we really find is that what the Lord is giving us is the better it is higher it is greater um, uh, uh, he he wants to give us more happiness not less and that's what happens through the forgiveness of sins particularly in eternal life, but it, but it also happens as, as it is uh, uh, here. Um, this, it says, is the beginning of, of signs. It's things that point to him. Uh, Jesus reveals himself, yes, at the cross for the forgiveness of sins. But as it says here, he does manifest, he does reveal his glory. Uh, the servants knew, the disciples knew. Uh, they looked at this and said, whoa, this is the Savior. And what, did, what has happened here? Um, it says the disciples believed in him. Uh, of course they believed. They believed because of the words. But they also believed with the signs as well. As, as Jesus uh, did these things, those also are to strengthen and create faith just as our, our sacraments do miracles. Questions? Comments? All right, get out your responsive prayer sheets. Yes? Question? Well, I, I'm thinking about this in terms of uh, Mary, and I would assume that she knew that he's capable of anything. I mean, given his life, you know, the three kings coming, the angels, you know, providing protection, you know, his whole life so, you know, to ask him, I don't think it is, is, a, is a question of whether he can do it or not. No. Nope. It's just, uh, nope. you know, hey, we kind of need this. <laughs> or we, we kind of want this. Right. right. Yeah, I know he can do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, agreed. And like you say, then just leaves it in, in his hands. You know, she makes the request and... So I would also then apply this, just if you've said, uh, when you pray to God, he can do it. <laughs> can, he, can he heal someone of their cancer? Can miraculous? Yeah, he could, absolutely. Um, you know, if uh, 99-year-old uh, Abraham and 90-year-old Sarah can have a kid, I mean, yeah, God can do any of this. The question is not whether God can do it. The question is, you know, Willie. Um, whatever I, I'm, I, I lay my need before God. 
if he wants to do it that way, great. Um, yeah. Your uh, brown sheet, responsive prayer, we stand. Holy God, holy and most gracious Father, you shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I will wash my hands in innocence So I will go about your altar, O Lord Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. In whose hands is a sinister scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. My foot stands in an even place. In the congregations I will bless the Lord. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be world without end. Amen. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God who governs all things in heaven and earth, mercifully hear the supplications of your people and grant us your peace all the days of our life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The final petition. 
O God, who makes the unworthy worthy, sinners righteous, impure pure, work in me true repentance for my sins and misdeeds, for my daily and countless transgressions. Through faith in thy Son, make me worthy to receive the sacrament of thy Son's body and blood, for the cleansing of my soul and body of all shame and sin. Through him who offered himself to thee, O God, Father, the perfect propitiatory sacrifice, who is our sinless and our only mediator, through the high priest Jesus Christ, thy dear Son. Amen. Bless we the Lord. The Lord bless us, defend us from all evil, and bring us to everlasting life.